You're listening to The Fox, a podcast novel written and read by Arlene Radaski. Chapter 26, Ain, June 2005. As soon as Mark got to my apartment, we were inseparable. He held me through several teary nights. After the well-attended memorial, Meg told me she planned to take George's ashes to the Orkney Islands. He loved working at the Scara Bray site and wanted his ashes spread on the island. He believed the henge builders and labyrinth designers came from the civilization that rose on those islands. Right now, his ashes are in a mahogany box on the mantle of his home Next to Sophie, she said, her voice catching. They wanted to be together, so I'll take them both. Even with him gone from my sight and touch, I knew he was watching over me, right there, with my mom, dad, and Donnie. The night before Mark left for Wales, we sat wrapped in each other's arms on my small bed. A heavy blue mood hung over me. Next time, I'm getting a hotel room. Mark mumbled into my hair. Neither of us made it through the night in this tiny cramped bed. We started the night making love, but after, one of us, usually me, ended up trying to sleep in my chair. I've loved seeing you again, said Mark. It seems like months. I've done a lot of thinking while we were apart. I love you. I want us to start a family. What do you want? He held me close and his chin rested on the top of my head. My cheek lay against his chest, listening to his heartbeat, my heart racing. I couldn't see his face. I took a deep breath and was filled with his scent of wood smoke and loam, and then my breathing matched his. I felt safe enveloped in his arms, cushioned from the world. But a niggling feeling deep in my mind warned me to be careful. My psyche was still trying to work my way out from under Brad's thumb. It didn't matter that he was dead or that I loved Mark. I thought about starting a family with Mark, little boys with Mark's eyes running around. I loved that idea, but... Mark... Reluctantly, I started pulling away from his warm, safe embrace. I still hadn't told him about the possible sale of the farm or that I hadn't started the process to list the fort. I was afraid he would start giving me advice. Please understand, I love you too. I want you back. But if you come, you have to let me do my own work. This is my last chance. I'm afraid if I don't do well here, I won't be able to have projects on my own anywhere. I won't be able to get any grants. I'm going to be busy for about a week. I have a report to finish. That'll give you some time to work with me not there, and I promise, when I do come, you can tell me what to do, and that is all I will do, okay? We made love again, and then he called a taxi. My small room was deathly quiet while I packed to return to Scotland. The shrill ring of my phone startled me out of my reverie. It was Meg. She asked me to come over to the house before I left. There are a few things George asked me to do, 
We could get some of them done before you leave. Sure. I have tickets for tonight's train. I'll be there about two hours before I go, if that's a good time for you. That's perfect. I'm still here tidying up before the realtors come. Take a taxi and I'll pay for the trip here and the trip to the station later. See you about four-ish. Later, in George's study, Meg brought in a pot of fragrant tea and a plate of biscuits. The house was in deep disarray. Taped boxes were stacked in the hall and open ones scattered around this room. She'd been busy. Meg, you looked tired. Are you sleeping well? Oh, I've plenty of time for that. I've just a few things left to do. All the clothes are going to charity and a few specific things to the university. He took care of most of his personal things before he went up to see you. His labyrinths are going tomorrow. All but this one. She walked to the now-empty bookcase and picked up the bronze Chartres labyrinth. It was the one I had taken to him. I'd left it there when he died and thought I'd lost it. St. John's sent this back, and it's to be yours. George left a few written instructions, and one was to make sure that this got to you. He said you would be the one who would use it well and keep its spirit alive. She held it out to me, and I gently took it from her. It was warm, as if George had been holding it in his hands. I didn't expect anything from him, Meg. I'll always treasure it. Tears started down my cheeks. One more thing, Ain. You know he loved you like a daughter, the one he and Sophie could never have. I wondered what heartache she was feeling right now. She loved him, too. I nodded and dug into my backpack for some tissues. Oh, here, dear. She handed me a tissue box from the floor next to her chair. I carry this with me all day, all through the house. I've gone through two of them already today. I took a few and dabbed at my eyes. He had some money, not a great deal, but enough to share with others. His solicitor will contact you, but I wanted to tell you first. He left some to university and to me, but he also left some to you, dear. I can't tell you exactly how much. You'll be getting a letter, but it is a nice amount. Oh, no, I don't need anything else. This labyrinth is enough. Well, I heard you were looking for money for that side of yours, that hill fort? He would be very happy if, it, if you used it for that. He mentioned how important it was to you when he came back. I gulped. Money for my sight. George helping me even after his death. Angels watched over me. I'll use it well. He'd be proud of me, Meg. Ain't dear, he was already proud of you. Tim picked me up at the station. All is well and secure at the site. That chap Stephen Treadwell asked for you yesterday. I told him you'd be in tomorrow. Oh, bloody hell. I wonder what he wants. Mr. Treadwell told me he'd call me if he got an offer on his land. I hope this isn't that news. Well, I suppose we'll find out. I really wanted to go to the hill. It felt as if I wanted to go home. Who's on site tonight? Matt and the new chap, Larry. Well, I have extra clothes and my toothbrush in my bag. I wonder if they'd mind if I bunked with them. 
If I remember correctly, we have an extra sleeping bag up there, right? Yeah, and a pad, too, for whoever sleeps on the ground. Two cots, three people, I thought. Yes, one of us will be on the ground. I hoped one of them was a gentleman and would give in without me having to ask. A soft glow from the full moon reflected off the mountain and covered the fort in milky light. I was home. I said hi to Matt and Larry and dropped off my bag. I grabbed a torch and a cup of coffee and walked to Johnna's lodge. I closed my eyes and saw her smile as she stirred a rich rabbit stew cooking over the peat fire. My thoughts confirmed what my heart felt. This was right. I was supposed to be here. I walked back to the tent, picked up the sleeping bag and pad, grabbed a hat and my labyrinth from my bag, and said good night. I wanted to sleep with Jana tonight. I settled near the perimeter of her home, closest to the remains of the gate. My view encompassed the fields where Mr. Treadwell's sheep grazed and the bog where his highland cattle wandered. Oak trees in the distance were silhouetted by moonlight, throwing shadows across the fields. My finger traced the worn path on the labyrinth, and I let my imagination wander. The clan was all around me, talking and laughing. Dogs barked, and Jana called to her goats. I loved it there. I stayed in that thought as long as I could, but the sounds and sight wavered, and then were gone. I loved archaeology. It allowed me to live in times past. It was about 4 a.m. when I woke up and stretched. The ground was hard and I was chilled. Everything around me was dark and quiet. My eyes wandered over the outlaying fields and bog and stopped on a ball of light. What the... The light bobbed just above the ground near the trench where Mr. Treadwell had found the bronze horse harness fittings. I looked carefully. It seemed almost like a torch that was in need of batteries. The moon should cast a shadow of the person carrying it, but there was no shadow. I watched it for several minutes. It seemed to move in a small circle, never going far from the first area where I'd noticed it. I had to go see what this thing was. I debated with myself as to whether I needed Mr. Treadwell's permission. If yes, I'd have to go to his home, wake him up, and tromp through his fields in the middle of the night. Or there was a shortcut down the path, around the foot of the hill and over a couple of fences. I could be there in about twenty minutes. I chose the short way, put the labyrinth in my pocket, and prayed there were no cattle roaming on the bog. Fences and small hills sometimes hid the dim circle of light as I walked, but when back in sight it still bobbed, as if waiting for me. I came to the last barrier, a rock wall surrounding the bog, climbed it, and stood watching, afraid and nervous about what I might see. There was no reason for this light to be bouncing in Mr. Treadwell's bog. Was I going completely bonkers? I squatted in place and decided to wait. A sneeze exploded to my left and I jumped, almost falling off the wall. The fox sat there, just out of my reach. It was the same fox I'd seen in the trees the other day, I was sure. There was no mistaking him. He was big. He sat watching the light bounce. 
He was glorious, even in the moonlight. His bronze fur glistened, and his white-tipped, brushy tail wagged slowly. Suddenly he stiffened, ears forward, and his eyes trained on the spot mine had left a moment ago. I turned back and gasped as I sat down hard, breathless, shocked at the vision in front of me. Oh, my God, he'd have peered out of the ground. He couldn't have walked here. I'd have heard him or seen him. My eyes hadn't left that spot except for a minute to look at the fox. He couldn't be there. But there he stood. A man of about Mark's height stood straight and proud in front of me at the edge of a cut trench. A faint aura of golden light shimmered around his body. He wore long pants, a tunic top tied with a cord, and a plaid cape fastened at his neck. His loose red hair hung below his shoulders. One arm hung to his side behind the cape. The fox stepped across the trench and sat next to the hand, as if waiting to be petted. The other hand rested on his upper chest. His eyes looked into mine. I knew they were blue, the same blue as Mark's eyes were. He stared at me for a minute and then dropped the hand that rested on his chest. I saw the medicine bag. Healers and druids wore them to ward off evil spirits. He turned slightly to the left, and moonlight highlighted its design. It was a labyrinth. Oh, God's above, I whispered. I suddenly thought that I could show him my labyrinth and slipped it out of my pocket. He smiled, and his hand dropped palm up. He slowly waved it over the bog around him. Our eyes connected, and he nodded as if he knew me. My heart stopped beating. A cloud slid over the moon. I blinked, and the man and the fox had disappeared. They were both gone. I sat on the damp ground, trying to figure out what I had seen. As hard as I tried not to admit it, I finally concluded that either I was dreaming and sleepwalking or Mr. Treadwell's ghost was roaming the fields in the moonlight. I pinched myself. Ouch! I was awake and left with one strong thought. There was something here I needed to find. To do that, I needed to speak to Mr. Treadwell. Good morning, Mr. Treadwell! I was sure he rose with the sun hours ago. I didn't hesitate to knock hard on his door and call out, Mr. Treadwell, it's me, Ain, Ain McRae. I'm in the barn. Stop the yelling or you'll wake the dead. Or my son, whichever comes first. I don't know where he learned to sleep so much. I stepped into the frame of the barn door and peered inside. The sun shined brightly outside but didn't penetrate the dark interior. Bits of dust floated around the doorframe, reflecting sunlight like miniature flying fairies. Hello, Mr. Treadwell. Can I speak with you for a moment? A striped yellow cat walked out of the darkness, rubbed against my legs, and purred. She looked well-fed. Lots of mice in there, I guessed. Come on in, lassie. I stepped inside, and my eyes grew accustomed to the shafts of light slipping in through the spaces in the barn walls. He stood over a workbench, so I headed his way. 
The cat followed me in, meowing. She's about to have kittens and begs all the time. Just pay her no mind. She'll go on a hunt in a bit. You're up early on this fine day. What can I do for ye? Good morning, Mr. Treadwell. I hope you and your son are well. Stephen called and wanted to talk to me earlier in the week, but I need to talk to you first. I just returned from London last night. His back was to me, but I could see a motor in pieces on the table in front of him. He intently twisted a screwdriver, the strain showing in his stance. Ah, this blasted thing! I'd have a new one if I were sure I were going to be on the land a few more years. My heart jumped into my throat. I hoped he'd not made a deal to sell yet. I hadn't told him about wanting to get the hilltop registered and protected. Registering it as a landmark might not restrict the sale of the rest of the land, so I didn't want to upset him or his son needlessly. Mr. Treadwell, I'm here about your bog. My bog? What the bloody hell? What do you want with my bog? Oh, hell, I give up. I'll have to take this into town. He turned to me. I, what does my bog have that brings you here? Well, Mr. Treadwell, remember the horse fittings you found? I think there may be more to find there, and I'd like the chance to bring a crew down and do some digging. Lassie, you want to dig holes in my bog? My cattle have a hard enough time as it is. Why would I want to be letting you dig more holes? Mr. Treadwell, the bronze fittings are beautiful, and as I told you, it was not uncommon for the druids to throw other sacrifices into the water. I think there may be more in that bog. That was once a lake that was sacred to the local ancient clans. I would like to be the one to find whatever else is there before it's gone or covered over. I heard a commotion in the corner. The yellow cat came out with a mouse in her mouth and laid it at my feet. Ah, she's laying a sacrifice at your feet, lassie. She only does that for those she likes. She will not even come near my son. Oh, well, I'm honored. I reached down, petted the cat, and gently shifted my foot out from under the warm mouse body. She picked up the mouse and slowly walked to a dark corner. I expected to hear crunches soon. My stomach rebelled. Only coffee for breakfast seemed like a smart move right now. I'll tell you what. His face brightened with an idea. I'm going to cut Pete there tomorrow. You can come and help. I can do with a few more spades working. I wanted to start now and had to convince him to let my team into the bog today. I decided to tell him what I saw. Mr. Treadwell, I was outside on the hill last night. I saw something. Remember the ghost you told me you saw? He stepped closer. I smelled his breakfast bacon on his breath. I do not talk about that to everyone, lassie. I haven't told anyone your story, Mr. Treadwell. I saw something down there. A bouncing light. And a fox. He stepped sideways so the sunlight silhouetted him. I couldn't see his face. Aye, a fox. He's a big one, he is. That fox does not eat the farm chickens. He paused. What does the fox mean to you, lassie? 
I've always loved foxes. One followed me around when I was a kid. I think of them as my good luck charms. When I saw the big one last night, Mr. Treadwell, he was standing next to a man. What? What man was in my bog last night? What did you see? Well, Mr. Treadwell, to tell you the truth, I, I don't know what I saw. I think I saw a man petting the fox. He was tall and wore brown with a cape slung over his shoulders. He showed himself to you. Was that what you saw? Was that your ghost? When you saw him, did he look at you? No, he was pacing, walking over and over the same ground. He didn't look up at me. He seemed to be looking for something. But when I saw him, he was standing still. I think he was trying to tell me something, Mr. Treadwell. I have to go see why he came last night, why he showed himself to me. I paused to think for a minute. I have an idea. I have a whole group of young people with strong backs who would be a boon to you. We could dig rows of peat, look through them for relics, and then transport the peat wherever you like. His hands came up and rested on my shoulders. I'll be lifting the peat alongside them. If there's anything to find, I want to be there. The ghost. He slowly shook his head. His eyes never left mine. He honored ye, too. He turned and walked back into the dark of the barn. When he returned, he had four peat-cutting shovels in hand. We shouldn't let any more time pass, lassie. I'll go tell my son where I'll be, and you call your team here. We start today. My team, Mr. Treadwell and I, dug trenches and poked through each piece of muggy, sticky peat and bog mud we dug up. I thought the dirt would never come out from under my nails again. We dug for hours, finding nothing except mud and goop. My biggest fear was Mr. Treadwell losing faith. I knew that I would stay and dig up the whole bog alone if needed. But I couldn't do it without his permission. Later, toward evening, his son Stephen tripped into the field where we were, carrying papers in his hands. I prayed it was bills to pay or some such. Da, he called. Da, you need to see this. My heart sunk. I knew what it was. Mr. Treadwell carefully slogged his way to him, and they spent their time together talking and leafing through the folder. Stephen quickly shook his head, and Mr. Treadwell seemed to agree by nodding. I knew we were in trouble. Ain, Mr. Treadwell called. He motioned me to him. Lassie, he said when I stood next to him, knee-deep in a furrow. Stephen brought news of an offer from the hotel. It seems they want me to sign this week. I'm required to go to London to meet with the purchasing company. I'll spend time with my solicitor and bank tomorrow. Stephen says I shouldn't allow ye on the property while I'm gone. But I know the land. I could have my team dig here without your being here. I wanted to throttle Stephen and was ready to get on my knees to beg Mr. Treadwell to let us to stay. He says we're too close to the deal to have anything happen to any of you. I told him I'm still making the decisions here as long as the land is in my name and I give ye permission for one more day. But, girl, ye have only one more day. Now the sun is setting, and we will quit for today. 
please, if we're only to have one more day, I want to dig in the moonlight. I silently cursed the ghost for not being more specific with his sign. Why couldn't he have planted a flag where I was supposed to dig? I also cursed myself for not starting the process of getting the property listed. Now there was no way I could stop Mr. Treadwell from going. Maybe in time, time I didn't have, the hilltop would be protected, but I could lose this bog. Don't be daft. Let's wash our hands and eat a good supper. He raised his voice and called to my crew. Tis time for break for the night. They all looked at me. Okay, we can come back tomorrow. I turned back to him. We haven't found what I'm looking for yet. Do we know what that item is? He asked. No, not yet. I'll know when I see it. Well, lassie, ye have another day. Back at camp, I told everyone what Mr. Treadwell told me. I'm calling the regional archaeologist tonight. If the hilltop is listed, the hotel still could buy the rest of the land, unless we find something in the bog. We're going to have to work extra hard tomorrow. But tonight, why don't all of you go into town and have a good supper on me? Candy, you know which place accepts my charge card. Would you please take care of it? I'm going to spend the night here. Laurie hugged me. Ain, we'll stay as long as you need us. This is a fab site, and we like working for you. No worries, it'll all work out, as my mom says. Just think positive. Thank you, Laurie, I'll remember that. They descended to the vehicles. Don't forget we're working tomorrow. Don't you kids get lost in town. Laughter and cheerios echoed after the departing cars. They were all kids. Boy. I really missed Mark. Just think positive. Just think, oh, bloody hell, I'm talking to myself now. Well, if I'm going to talk to someone, I may as well go talk to a ghost. With that, I picked up a torch and started down the back way to the bog. Sitting on the wall of a cut row of peat, labyrinth in hand, I spoke again. I know you're here. I need to know exactly where I'm supposed to dig. Is that a stupid thing to ask a ghost? I looked around to see if anyone appeared, half worried it would be Stephen. No, still just an empty bog. What am I looking for? I asked the air. No answer. It was late. The moon was setting and I was chilled. I stood to start back to camp. Hey, out there! Yoo-hoo! I just remembered I brought my labyrinth. You liked it last time. If I say a prayer over it, will you come? I decided to try. I closed my eyes, rubbed the path of the labyrinth, and words floated easily into my mind. Blood of our blood, do not forget us. In the darkest of the nights, buried we lie. We dream to have our voices heard again. We beg you to find us, to bring us back. Blood of our blood, do not forget us. Our souls continue with the gods. We died for you. We live through you. Tell our story so we may live again. Blood of our blood. When the prayer was complete, I opened my eyes. There you are! The light bobbed 
just in front of me. It bounced up about two feet above the ground and back down to touch it. There, is that where it is? Do we dig there tomorrow? The light blinked out, and I rushed over and laid the labyrinth on the spot. It was all I carried besides the torch, batteries almost gone, and my mobile. I spent the rest of the night fitfully sleeping and waking, cold and stiff with the feeling of someone watching me, and wondering just what I meant by blood of my blood. The sun's pink rays peeked over the mountain, and I dialed Tim's mobile. Dew-covered and shivering, I said, Tim, I I'm in the bog. Send the team, will you? And have them bring a big, big thermos of coffee and something to eat? I know I've woken you up, and it'll take a while, but please get everyone on the move. Thanks. See you soon. Tim barely had time to utter a sound. I calculated ten minutes to brew a pot of coffee while dressing, and twenty minutes on the road, another five minutes to hike in from the car, and I'll have coffee in about thirty-five minutes, if I didn't die from exposure before then. Ah, the sun was getting higher and warmer. My crew, Larry, Darcy, Jane, and Tom, arrived with coffee and baskets of food. Larry, please bring the yellow tape. I want to mark a grid. I walked a square around the spot where my labyrinth lay. As excited as I was about digging in that exact spot, I knew we had to go about this correctly, or we might disturb something and devalue its importance. We started digging. 2.25. I looked at my watch for the umpteenth time. In the warm sun, the midges gathered around us. Until today, we were mercifully free from them, but it seemed they arrived in force. Maybe they knew we were leaving and wanted to be sure to get a taste of us before we were gone. Little buggers. My job was slogging through the piles of mud that were shoveled my way. Larry and Tom were digging and the girls pulled the peat apart, all looking for anything unusual. I stood to stretch my aching back and felt nauseated. Had I eaten too many croissants? I stood up and walked to where we had a blanket out with water and snacks. I didn't want to lose my lunch in front of the kids. Suddenly, an intense feeling washed over me. I had felt this when we buried Donnie. I recognized it as grief and the agony of not understanding why he had to die. My body was bent over with silent sobs. Then it passed. I tried to understand what had just happened. Did I miss George that much? I hoped I was quiet enough so no one noticed me. Tom yelled out, I found something! Here! Oh, wow, Jane said. It looks like a... Oh, my God! Come here, everyone! We were already crowding around her, me wiping tears from my face. It looks like a leg, she said. I jumped into the trench and stooped down to take a look at its wall. Bowls of a leathery material lay embedded in the peat. Let me see what you have there, Jane. She handed it to me. It was a human leg. A mummified, peat-dyed human leg that had lain in the bog for who knows how many years. Weak-kneed, I leaned against the pile of peat. We'd found it. I'd found him.
Tom had shoveled through the leg of a bog body. In my heart, I knew it was the body of the ghost. Okay, okay. My mind raced to think of the procedure we should follow. We can stop digging now. I laid the leg in the trench just below the rest of the uncovered body. We need to have the authorities out here to assure them that this isn't a recent crime. Tom and Jane, please take pictures of this site and its surroundings, and make sure we have the GPS locators marked and recorded properly. Larry, could you go to Mr. Treadwell's and see if someone is home? We need to let them know about this. Darcy, get on your mobile and call in the local coroner and police. Call Tim to secure the hilltop. No one is to come up there until we have this figured out. I want to work with the police and make sure this recovery is recorded in every way possible as we dig the body out. I climbed out of the trench. My hands trembled as I dialed Jimmy's number in Glasgow. Hi, Jimmy? Hello, Wayne. What's up? More ashes? No, not more ashes, Jimmy. I need you to find the right person to come and help me protect this site. And if I'm right, I've something here that'll make your day. Heck, it'll make your year. Please join me again for another chapter of The Fox by Arlene Radaski. Now enjoy the music of Steve McDonald's song, A Scottish Soldier, from the album Highland Farewell. His music can be found at www.etherean.com, who along with Steve have allowed me to use the music in my podcasts. Learn more about The Fox at www.radasky.com. Hills, nor the island hills, there are 
Scottish hillside, not on these green hills of Tyrone. Scottish soldier will wander far no more and soldier far no more and on a hillside a Scottish hillside you'll see a piper play his soldier home he's sing the glory he's told the story of battles glorious and deeds victorious You will cease now, he is at peace now, for 